Welcome back to the Imposter's Way podcast, where I keep a beginner's mind and you hopefully keep on learning from all the things that I've picked up along my journeys through blockchain land. And today's Sunday edition is a chapter five, investing in ideas. I try to bring these out weekly. So far, this has worked out. Let's see how long I can keep this up. But in any case, investing in ideas is today's topic. And this will be another application deep dive, meaning how blockchain technologies are used in detail today and what potential that might bring for the future. And in chapter four, we covered financial markets um, as the first application type. And as mentioned last time, while they might not be the most intuitively interesting to your daily life, they were the most important to cover. So good job for making it through that and making it this far. And the important part is now we've established kind of the basis understanding both of the fundamental principles in chapter one, two and three as well as um, the fundamentals of markets and just a bit more of the economy of it. So I had to cover that first because financial markets and their application have the highest impact on the economy and um, on the, po the political consequences might be the most um, explosive, let's say, and also to establish that understanding of markets and liquidity. So we've established that... Um, Crypto markets can provide liquidity to assets in general. And we talked about currencies as stock and stocks as potential assets last time. And today we're just talking about other types of assets that generally do not trade on stock exchanges. And those will be art and ideas and in generally creative creations. And before we get too much into the weeds, as always, I just have to point out that full transcripts um, of this episode and all the other chapters can be found at theimpostorsway.com, which um, has further readings as well as all the sources attached to it and might just help you to absorb some of this material um, a bit better than just the audio version. So let's start with remembering a quote from last week's episode. And uh, that was, they might sound confusing, but financial markets basically exist to bring people together so money flows to where it is needed most. And for today's purposes, I would just like to change that sentence slightly to ideally financial markets exist to bring people together so money flows where value is created. And that subtle difference will kind of um, get to understand a bit better throughout this episode. But uh, let's start with an example to illustrate that, that value part. So let's take music. Let's take a song. Um, there's a solo female Spanish guitar player and she creates value by composing a song. And that song is called Fuego. And she creates it in her home studio and then subsequently uploads it to platforms so other people can listen to it. So let's break apart where value here is created. The value of the song Fuego is a listening experience, right? And if many people listen to that song, it arguably creates more value in the world. So let's assume a simple setup, right? She doesn't have a studio to rent. Um, she doesn't have a songwriter or anything like that. Let's take an individual creator to start with. And this example should get us in the right mindset to, to discuss the applications on blockchain that represent this vague thing called value. So what we'll cover now is value in two steps, in two conceptual steps. That first one is value creation and the second one is value capturing. And then we will look at three distinct applications that are currently enabled by blockchain technologies to support creators in that value capturing part. So that's the layout of today's chapter. How much is the value of that Fuego song? 
it's hard to know, right? We don't even have a measurement of value, an objective one. It's, it's subjective to each individual how much is a song worth to you. But if we'd had to formalize it, we could uh, say that the value of Fuego equals the amount of listening joy it creates per person. So let's say it's a five-minute song and it's great all the, all the way through. And so we multiply the amount of listening joy created per person by the amount of times it was listened to. So this would come to the total listening time of the song. Right? So if we had to put a formula on how much value a song provides, and Fuego in particular as this example, then this would be one way of doing it. So that would be value creation from the lens of the consumer, right? the listener to the song. But let's look at this from the artist's perspective instead for a second. So of course the artist does not um, kind of do these calculations of total listening time while composing the song, but she invested hours and hours composing and recording the music. And after that, she needs to distribute the song through digital platforms. Um, so creation of the digital product, the song, the MP3, MP4, WAV file, whatever, and the distribution of that product are the major levers for value creation on the producer's side. So luckily distribution is very cheap on the internet. Just upload to a streaming service like Spotify, YouTube and SoundCloud. And that is even free for artists. And then you have to ask yourself, why is it free? As always, right? Nothing is really free. And the platforms that allow this free distribution actually also take a um, big chunk, big majority of the profits. So you're paying somehow either way as an artist, right? But artists do need distribution. And our, our song here um, has to be listened to to provide value to users, to listeners. And um, that makes intuitive sense, right? So when playing on the street, you're also providing value by playing music. It's just that your distribution is very limited because, uh, well, you only have a very limited amount of people coming by. And also the value capturing part is what we're going to go into next is a bit complicated because you can't really force people that walk by to pay a fair price for the song they are listening on the street corner. But to sum up the value creation part, so the value of the song Fuego is created through two steps. That is creation and distribution. And while it's hard to measure, because subjective, one could estimate, estimate the value created by the song by multiplying the minutes of the song by the total amount of listeners or listens. You could also listen to a song several times, right? But just total listening time. So this would be about value creation. Now we just have to cover value capturing, which is the only thing left to cover in order to get the artist paid. We discovered value creation, but how does money flow back for all that value that is being created? Money is just a response um, of an individual to the value that is provided to this individual, right? So it's, it's basically a dialogue between the artist and you, the listener. And the artist says, fuego, or like, here's the song. And you say, okay, one euro. Um, and that would be a marketplace we can imagine. Like if you would buy a CD, that, that makes intuitive sense. And it's... It's or like selling a used toy at a flea market or something like that. There could even be bargaining involved, right? But because maybe some, some CDs are worth more than others. But for artists, this works differently right now. Creative value is mostly given away to third parties. You have record labels, um, you have Spotify, you have YouTube, so you have digital platforms. And the digital services pay just a few cents per played song. 
And in times of CDs and vinyl, there were some long contracts on how much the artist gets up front and then maybe later a cut of the sales. And um, this was inherently intransparent. And there's a lot of stories of, of even famous artists really being ripped off um, by in, um, intransparent um, contracts. So with many platforms like Spotify, um, we've come closer to the reality of streaming value. Still, it is not a marketplace. Spotify charges you as a consumer um, a monthly fee and is taking most of that profit um, to build out their platform and also to have profits. And you simply don't know how much is going to that genius that played Fuego so passionately, right? So we already covered a lot now. Um, we covered value creation and we covered value capturing. And we need... Um, distribution in order to get our creation out there as an artist and the existing platforms and contracts and record label deals are inherently opaque both um, to the artists themselves not knowing whether or not they're getting a good deal compared to maybe other bands or other artists as well as you as a consumer you don't know how much you're paying to an individual artist because you're paying um, a monthly fee for example or you're paying a certain fixed amount for a CD, but you have no clue how much of that actually goes back to the creator, which is probably the person you want to compensate, right? If you listen to Fuego and you love the guitar plays, you probably actually want to pay the creator of that song most of all. You, you do, you're not, don't feel highly emotional about supporting the distribution platform, <laughs> but that's what you're doing right now. Which brings us to the blockchain applications that we want to cover today. And we'll cover three of them. Direct marketplaces, that sounds familiar from last time. Tokenizing people and NFTs. And we'll cover them step by step and how they apply to the example of the artist and the song Fuego um, or, for example, the Imposter's Way podcast. Direct marketplaces. So that will sound familiar from last time, as I mentioned, but the more direct marketplaces can be, the fewer middlemen are involved. And um, in the artist's um, kind of perspective, the more value can be captured directly by the creator. And this is where blockchain-based systems can come in to help. So with blockchain, we can open up markets for not just stocks and crypto assets that, that are fun and whatever, and maybe useful, but we can also open that up to, to all kinds of goods, um, digital goods mostly, right? And this is really just like a flea market where you would be surprised on like all the things that you can buy and, and sell there because there's niche markets for almost everything. And it's just an open marketplace where everybody can pop up a stand and sell their good. And these marketplaces can be facilitated in a digital realm by blockchain. So let's take an example. Opus Audio is a platform that I found that, that tries to solve this problem. And they set it as... Artists are struggling to make sense of the mess that is royalty distribution in its present form and find it difficult to keep the fair share of the revenue they generate on existing platforms. So that seems to be somehow their mission statement. And while I don't know the technical merit of their platform, what they, um, what they aim to do is um, through decentralized file hosting and automated micropayments for each minute listened to each artist. It, they try to provide transparency in such an opaque space that is the music industry. And that means that you could 
uh, really just pay by the minute or by the second listen to a particular artist bringing a lot more transparency both to the artist on what they will be compensated with as well as you as a listener what you're really paying for obviously the platform will have to take a cut in the sense that distribution is not free right they have that platform actually has to exist um, but what can happen with with blockchain based systems is that that can build, build, be built in the open so um, that can be built open source um, in a sense that you can verify what the artist gets and what the platform keeps in order to maintain itself. And it's not yet established what those prices are. Um, is this more expensive or less expensive than Spotify in the end for you? Um, I don't know. These platforms have to hit a certain scale and adoption in order to really um, work out and establish prices. And um, it will be interesting to see whether or not that is a viable model for some artists. But just to cover one more um, application in the audio space sphinx chat is a bitcoin and lightning network based chat application it's very much like telegram or whatsapp and users can listen to podcasts and stream micropayments while doing it in app that means while you listen in the app you can listen to a podcast right and and you pay a few cents per minute of listening so or you or the creator could also open a paid chat group where you can listen to a podcast episode only if you get in and basically there is a payment at the door so you have to do a small micro payment to get into the room to join to be able to listen to the podcast so if you ever looked at payment regulations online and with individual laws in each jurisdiction you'll quickly understand why this kind of feature is uh, you know not yet present in things like WhatsApp. And actually WhatsApp has been trying for years to roll out exactly those kind of features to allow micropayments within the app. And having to partner with individual banks and payment providers in each country has made this nearly impossible or at least terribly slow. And on Sphinx Chat, that is already available. And if a very small team in two years can deliver functionality that the biggest tech giants struggle with after years and years. There must be something about the technology that is incredibly powerful. And I think this is what it gets down to again and again. Is we don't know how this will play out. We don't know if all of these use cases will be better for the consumer, will be better for the artist in this case. Um, but the potential for these applications is, is really powerful. And obviously regulation, as we mentioned last time, is the dark horse here because the ease of use comes with it being internet native money, internet native protocols and payment streams. And once you would regulate that with the same laws that you do in every jurisdiction, you get the same inefficiencies that you would have with just trying to Visa card or MasterCard something across the world. But let's bring it back to our artist. Let's summarize. We've covered how value is created and that distribution is a critical part of it. Transparent marketplaces with integrated payments are one way of getting the money closer to the value creator. That is the artist. Internet native micropayments allow for a more direct mapping of value and compensation. The example we covered here is that we can compensate musicians by the listening time their songs generate. But there's very much also other modes of compensation uh, emerging that we'll, some of them we'll cover now. 
I just want to see a world where these are able to compete and um, creators are not reliant on opaque um, rates that they can get paid of one or two giant tech platforms. Tokenized people. Luckily, we already covered stock exchanges and now the mental leap for you will not be as big. Um, it might still be a bit mind-bending and potentially creepy. So on blockchain-based systems, we can make everything a stock. We covered that already. Not just publicly traded companies that are registered at the New York Stock Exchange. So I could issue a token called the Imposter's Way token. And I define that there are 100 of these tokens and never more or less than that. And the initial token offering is um, at, at the initial token offering, you'll pay $1 per token, okay? And you believe that the imposter's way uh, will keep going and maybe become a real podcast and you might even have a sponsor at some point, right? This is very far off, but you buy 10 tokens um, of the imposter's way token and now you are a shareholder with 10% equity in the project. So I set up a contract that automatically pays out 50% of all the revenue that the podcast makes to these shareholders. So what you would receive is 10% of the 50% of the revenue. So that could come through donations or advertisements or sponsorships or whatever, right? And now the Imposters Way podcast is far off from having any sponsorship or anything like that. But just like a very, very early company where you just have two people sitting in a garage, it runs on a deficit and it requires people to invest that belief in its future, not for its current um, income or profitability. And the part blockchain plays here. I mean, you can imagine how this would be a very interesting pitch for a more um, accomplished, high quality program than this one here, right? So blockchain enables this just to ensure that that I don't cheat you. So you can program programmatically limit the amount of tokens that exist and invalidate that. And smart contracts um, are, are basically the contract that gets you your cut of the income, the, the revenue that the program makes. So all of this can be set up in just a few days work on my side and without any stock exchanges or lawyers involved. There's no SEC filings and there's no, no regulatory hurdles um, to jump. So there's platforms that even make it Easier than that, BitCloud is, is a Twitter-like social media platform that allows you to buy shares of every user on the platform. So you, you see any account on the platform and, and they have a token automatically created for them with a limited supply that you can buy and sell from other users or from the person himself. And for example, Elon Musk is trading there at $30,000 a share right now. And um, that is m very much speculation, right? But What's interesting here is that either I could set up um, my own token for for the for the podcast to allow um, investors right to come in early, and hopefully that pays off in the future, right? Um, or there's even platforms that already do do these kind of tokenizing people mechanisms um, from scratch um, as just as part of the platform offering. So tokenizing everything allows things like bands, podcasts, individuals or companies to offer shares in the project without meeting the huge regulatory hurdles that are set to be traded on a stock exchange. 
So you can imagine, I mean, just take, for example, you don't see a band or a podcast publicly traded on stock exchanges. That even sounds weird now that I say it, right? You, you expect companies there. But really, what is the difference between a media company um, and um, maybe a huge podcast with um, 20 employees, right? Still, that is way too small to be worth tr being traded on the stock exchange. And with tokenizing, you can um, bring that same functionality of providing liquidity, of attracting investors to almost anything. So this allows podcasts, let's say, to be turned into an asset that is tradable. With that comes liquidity for the creative person, meaning they get the money to do to do their thing, right? So if the idea turns out to work great, then the early investors will be very happy um, and the podcast could also completely tank. And so you have to invest at your own risk, right? So this is very much like investing in very early startups or something like that. But while that can sound risky and yes, it can drive speculation and there can definitely be risky investments, the technology is not there to judge it. Technology is just there to offer that capability. And if you think about bands and how long they have to do um, day jobs on the side in order to fund their hobby, which is music. If you could convince 100 people to, to believe in your album that you want to do, there could be enough to get a few months of runway and some studio rent time uh, that you can afford from that to actually bring your album to life. And with that, let's jump into the last and third way artists could be compensated, which is NFTs. So if you haven't heard about that, NFT stands for non-fungible token. And what does that mean? Well, let's start with the last word that is token. And you've heard that before now um, a few times. A token is any asset based on blockchain and um, fungible is the second word that we need to understand. And that is any asset that is returnable or negotiable in kind or by substitution. That's the definition. So let's take an example again. A US dollar bill is very fungible. Bitcoin is too, a single Bitcoin. There are a lot of them and I don't care which particular dollar bill I have, right? That is fungibility. So uh, now an NFT is a non-fungible token. So that's a non-fungible asset, which means it does matter which one I have, which means I can't trade it in easily or substitute it easily. It has a uniqueness property. And if you think back to digital scarcity, a word I mispronounced for the whole effing chapter. <laughs> um, but if you think back to chapter one, where we covered that blockchain allows us to verifiably have very little of a digital good, right? For Bitcoin, that was 21 million. And for a particular NFT, that number is one. So they're ultra scarce. To kind of explain how that would work in the real world, let's take our song Fuego as an example here one last time before we get completely sick of hearing it. The artist can now create an NFT with a single original first recording of Fuego. So true fans will have the opportunity to buy the original recording, the one of one. And true fans will value that original more than any arbitrary copy that comes after that. So one of the fans will buy it off the artist for $5,000, giving her money to fund her next album. She also, again, automatically will get a 10% cut of all the profits that the reselling of this original recording will make in the future. 
Because Fuego becomes more and more popular in the mainstream, of course, the value of the original rises. There's more and more fans and more and more people that are interested in the artist. So the original superfan sells the recording NFT for $10,000 a year later. The artist gets an automatic kickback of $500. That's 10% of the superfan's $5,000 profit. So if you think that scenario we just played through is unlikely and you wonder who the hell would pay $10,000 for a digital original, I urge you to read up on the digital artist Beeple and the auction that he had um, for his NFT works. So Christie's was the auction house um, that managed um, that sale and they found a bidder that paid $69 million for a digital original NFT. So people do value originals and um, the Beeple story is by far not the only one. The value of the original though made more intuitive sense when we had physical paintings on canvas and then it got pretty easy and well maybe not easy but more of them got copied um, it definitely got easier to photocopy them which obviously is not the same but the art world overall has a lot of perfect counterfeits so the original maintains if it can be proven to be the original something really special to people and that is actually one of the big problems in the art world is actually to prove that you have the actual original. There are so many great copies that that is increasingly hard to do. And you can imagine how uh, 3D scans and 3D printing and so on could even make this more hard in the future. And with NFTs, it's verifiably one of one, meaning that through this open ledger, this blockchain based system again, you know where to look to check if this is the, 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 the copy you have in your hands, <laughs> in your digital hands, is really the one out of one, which makes it a very interesting collectible or investment. It's, it's just this ability to verify that you have the right one. So NFTs allow any form of art, audio, text, video or an image to have a first edition print again, just like we had with old comics or vinyl or um, magic cards or you know anything like that which brings us to the summary of today's chapter we've covered a lot in this chapter i could have easily made this three episodes um, but i cannot expect you to invest more than an hour a week on blockchain land so you have other things to do and i try to very much condense things down and dive potentially deeper in later episodes but for now just just try to give you that broad overview so you can kind of make a mental map of the space. So to bring it back to the leading question we had all the way in the beginning, if you remember it, that was how can blockchain help creatives to get paid for their work? And we've explored three ways that that can happen. One, by using more transparent direct marketplaces to distribute their work, such as offering songs um, and charging a few cents per minute of playback time. Two, by offering shares in the band or the podcast organization and benefits to investors as well as potential for growth and popularity and value in revenue can incentivize um, early investors, early believers uh, to, to, to bring money to the project. And three, by publishing creative works as an original, provably offering one of one originals as collectible NFTs is something that super fans will value. And reselling of these 
um, NFTs can pay the artist automatic royalties, providing them a regular income stream. So all of these compensation models already exist, but they are in the infancy, like everything in the crypto space. And NFTs have made a recent run and quite a splash in the media. A lot of fashion brands are trying to jump on the hype train now. And um, a more interesting project, to be honest, for example, is the non-digital artist Damien Hirst, who's selling a thousand, I think it might be even 10,000 small artworks. And the buyer can individually decide to receive the painting on paper or as an NFT. The chosen version will be sent to the buyer and the other version, so uh, if you chose paper, the NFT, and if you chose the NFT, the paper will be destroyed. So, um, well, that famous artist, right, describes this project as the most exciting of his career. So there's just some very interesting um, new modes of selling art, of delivering art, of collecting art, um, and also to bring liquidity again to, to creatives, just as you would provide liquidity to an early company. So in my personal opinion, therefore, the creative space and how blockchain enables creatives is one to watch particularly. And the reason here for me is not because that is going to be the place where the most money is being made or where it's most essential to our daily lives, but it's the most relatable. And creators have suffered to monetize their work in the digital world over the last decades. And art and music are very much at the heart of our culture. So this makes blockchain solutions in that space relatable and creatives can bring them into the mainstream. So soon you'll be able to invest in that band you know that is going to be big in a couple of years and nobody has heard of them yet, right? So you can imagine how the psychology of this will work out great. That's it on investing in ideas for now. Let's come back next time when we'll cover public infrastructure on blockchain, which is about us, us as a collective owning the equivalent of our roads and public transport on the internet. So we cover things like social media or cloud and file sharing, which you know, you use on Google or you use on Facebook and, and they could be perceived as public goods by now, meaning they should not be owned by one or two uh, private corporations. So let's rebuild that too on blockchain, right? Like everything. Until then, I'll leave you with the mandatory note that further readings and sources can be found at theimpostorsway.com. And as a former version of myself would have said, stay scarce or like I would say now, stay scarce. And uh, you know that this podcast is not scarce. Um, it's very much shareable. So um, if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you have picked up something and you might know somebody that can learn something as well, uh, don't hesitate to forward this here podcast to that person. Have a great day. <laughs>